As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You are listening to Be Amplified, the podcast with Bree and Thais, episode 56. Hey Amplifiers, welcome to Be Amplified, the podcast. My name is Thais. And I'm Bree Seeley. We are the co-founders of the Amplified Collective. A movement aimed at radically disrupting how purpose-driven women connect and operate in the world. Because we believe it's not just what you do, but who you are that matters. Each week, join us for messages and interviews that will leave you feeling amplified and ready to change the world. Let's do this. Good morning, Amplifiers. Bree Seely here. Hey, everybody. Tay Sky. Welcome to our podcast. <laughs> As usual, Tay That's it. That's, that's it. I think we're done. I think we're done with that. I think that's good. Welcome to our podcast. And done. And done. Um, one quick thing that I wanted to mention before we jump in, and then we, we do have another quick announcement, is we wanted to say a huge, massive fucking thank you to every single person who listens. Um, this is the final episode of July, and this was our biggest podcast month to date. Yeah. Like, of course, obviously it keeps growing, but we took a massive jump this month, and we wouldn't be here without each and every one of you listening right now. Yeah. No, it's pretty rad. And uh, we forget sometimes when we're in our closets talking to each other that people actually listen to this stuff. And yet I've been getting inundated with people uh, sharing how much this podcast has touched their hearts and has moved them. And it means so much to me that we get to use our stories to move you in some way and inspire you in some way. So thank you for taking time out of your life to listen to our rants our ramblings <laughs> and our almond eatings oh and... my god no no that is never acceptable no <laughs> um so thank you all seriously yes. seriously seriously thank you I know we yeah. don't say it often enough but we do love everyone that listens and we are so fucking grateful and if you feel inspired by the podcast feel free to share it with like two or 20 of your friends um, no, no big deal. Just two or 200, <laughs> two or 2000, just two or 2000 of your closest friends or 2 million. It's fine. It's fine to 20, 20 million, 2 billion. That's all we ask from you is 2 billion people. We can't go bigger than that because we don't have more twos of the billions. Get it? Yeah, what comes after that? We don't have like 20 billion people on this planet. So, okay. Just share it with the entire world and we will be happy. Every single person, you know, and then tell them to share it with every single person they know. And then you'll get to the whole world in like a day. Right. No big, no big deal. Six degrees, guys. That's all it takes. <laughs> um, so anyways, seriously, though, thank you guys. Uh, so that's the first thing. The second announcement we have is that tomorrow night we are getting together to clink our glasses and raise our forks in a delicious <laughs> meal in downtown Los Angeles. And it's going to be awesome. And we want you there. Yeah, I think we have just a few tickets left. So if you're free tomorrow night, 
yeah, and you want um, a highly curated event, we're going to have an entertainer. Uh, we're going to have a full course meal. We're going to have really from, good conversations. From Veggie Grill, which, by the way, their food is amazing. It's super healthy. We have quinoa stuff. We're going to have mac and cheese, but it's healthy mac and cheese. I, th- I shouldn't have told Thais that. It's gluten-free. I know. Thais is going to be so angry, but it's so good. Okay, so. well, I'm. I, we'll see. I will determine how good it is. <laughs> <laughs> And of course, the Grand Cortage and Hint Water and all of our favorite brands ever. Yes, Plus, yes. amazing gift bags. Yes, yes. So if you're free tomorrow night, go to our website, theamplifycollective.com. Go to the events tab. All the information is, ta- is there. And we have more dinner parties coming up before the end of the year. So you get to learn about all of our events. We're also doing a mixer at Michael Kors, which is going to be fun. We have a so lot excited. of cool stuff. Yeah, I've already planned what I'm buying at the Michael Kors event. Oh, know. good. Oh, good. Because 10% of our proceeds that night are going to Peace Over Violence, which is an amazing LA-based charity. So, gotta shop, gotta shop. Obviously, obviously. Gotta do it. All All right, right. let's get into it. We have an amazing guest today, as always. Yes. Kelly Deals. Yep, yep. Kelly is going to be talking about her, uh, her thesis is the best way to put it, uh, the female lifestyle empowerment brand and what that means for women everywhere. Uh, she has some really great insights for those of you who are entrepreneurs marketing yourself in the world. And so Bri and I thought that we would begin the conversation talking about brand and branding in general. Um, and this conversation does not just apply to entrepreneurs. No, nope. we are all uh, responsible for making sure that what we are putting out into the world is being accounted or what am I trying to say? Well, okay. 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 Back up. What I'm trying to say is if you're in the corporate world, what you post online, what you post on social media will be uh, scrutinized. Yes. So it's important no matter where you are, whether an entrepreneur or in the corporate world that you have your mind on what you're posting and what you're sharing and what you're doing and being, you know, cognizant of that. And of course, for a few different reasons. One, you know, when, you po- when you're posting things on social media, do you want to be contributing to the chaos that is going on in our world? Or do you want to be sharing truths and things that matter and important conversations and things like that? So that, of course, is one aspect of it. Yeah. And the other aspect of it is every single thing you post is getting looked at by somebody, whether yeah. they're a future client, a future employer, a future friend or partner or whatever, literally everything we all post online all the time is being scrutinized. Yes. It's like your selfies matter. Your selfies are saying something to the world. Your presence is saying something to the world. What you say, what you do is impacting people on one level or another. And so this isn't just another thing to be obsessing over. It's just reality. There's, you know, those group of teenagers who got kicked out of Harvard admissions because they were in a they were posting in a group or in a message or something very racist sexist things and harvard was like we don't have a tolerance for that and they re- removed their admission so this stuff is important what you're saying what you're doing online is important you know what gets posted on the internet is stays on the internet forever you know so on one level we have to be cognizant of that But then on another level, and something that Kelly's going to be talking about later, and something that I've been aware of so much recently, especially on Instagram, is how much, because we have to be cognizant of what we're posting, it's like we have to filter our entire lives through a very thin lens of does this align with my quote-unquote brand? And so what we end up finding on Instagram, especially because it's such a picture-based modality, is a sliver of people's lives, as if it's their whole life, right? There's nothing more shocking, I guess, than you know finding someone online on Instagram, loving their life, loving what they're posting, and then meeting them in person and realizing their lives look nothing like what they share online. There was an overheard in LA recently, and I, I'm trying to look it up quick. I don't know if I'll be able to. I look love it up. overheard in LA quickly enough, but, um, it was, she's, it was something, hold on. Let me see if I can find it. Well, can cut out this space, right? <laughs> no, it's fine. We'll keep it in. But you know, while you're looking, I will just say, um, that I am seeing that this idea of a brand and having a brand can be absolutely detrimental 
to women's well-being. Um, and it exacerbates the pressures that are already placed on women to have it all, do it all, and make it look easy. And um, so we're only putting out into the world our perfect slivers of life and our perfect photos and you know body angles that make us look skinnier. And so it's continuing to perpetuate the conversation that we are constantly broken and we have to be fixed. And by showing just a sliver of our lives, then we get to, in one facet, be what we've always dreamed of being. We get to identify what society has deemed as acceptable, but at the cost of perpetuating shit. And not just for other people, for yourself. Yes. So what this quote was, you know, it says, friend, party, Silver Lake, girl looking at her own Instagram, I'm jealous of myself. I wish my life was actually this good. Yeah. Perfect. That's exactly right. You know, and um, we use specific filters, like whitewash filters that make everything look shiny and new and pretty. We clean things before we take a picture of it. So we, we deny the messiness of our own existence. And in that way, we're enabling women to believe that their lives have to be perfect in order for them. And though, Brie, I mean, come on, it's also very, very fun to have a brand. And I it's mean, fun let's be honest, have- Instagram's my favorite. And, you know, I get to share my voice and my viewpoint with the world and like my heart and expansion and possibility and like all these beautiful things. Um, but also trying to make the, the straddle between that and making sure that people aren't looking at my stuff feeling terribly at the same time. Right. I mean, and that's the line. Like, for example, you know, the before and after photos can be inspiring. Wow, look at where they came from. Look at how hard they had to work to get here. And so on one level, it's inspiring. And we love the rags to riches stories because we all want to believe that we can be our own rags to riches stories. But on the other level, it is a deep layer that we're shaming people in their before and that we're not before and after photos. We are human beings and there's nothing wrong with who you were before. You know what I mean? And so it's like, it fat shames people into believing that they are the before and they have to be fixed and be skinny in order to be proud of their after. And with the rags to riches story, there's only a very, 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 very small percentage of people who actually have these rags to riches stories and be successful and whatever the level of success is. So it it perpetuates this idea that you, it's kind of like the 1%. It's like believing that you have to be a part of the 1% in order to be happy, in order to be fulfilled, the majority of us are never going to reach the whatever level of success that, you know, those people have. So this is interesting. I'm actually reading this book right now called The Millionaire Next Door. And it's this guy who was hired by all these companies to do massive amounts of market research on millionaires. And it's so, it is super fascinating. I'm only a sliver of the way into it, but it talks about how this lifestyle that we're sold that looks, you know, like millionaires look like this. They consume, consume, consume. They have, you know, huge houses in Beverly Hills and drive Lamborghinis and do this and that and da 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 right? Like that's the idea that we're sold as as a millionaire lifestyle. You look at look up millionaire on Instagram, I dare you, and all the photos are of like ridiculous fucking things. Yeah. And basically what this guy has has found is that he said he he, the first study that they were doing, they got people that, who had a net worth of 10 million or more come in and they got them caviar and the super vintage like Bordeaux wine and all of these amazing things. And basically the, the richest man in the room owned like a janitorial service. Yep. And he walked in and his name was like Mr. Bud. Yep. And no one at that meeting touched the caviar. They all ate the plain crackers without like without the pate no one wanted wine the guy was like I only drink two three two kinds of beer free and Budweiser (laughs) like you know so we're sold this this bill of goods about like well if you want to be you know successful and famous and popular and rich then you have to go out and have all of these things when in actuality it's that consumerism that's actually keeping us 
from the success that we desire. Well, and, and then spending money isn't having money, right? So if you want to be a more, a millionaire, you have to have millions in your bank account. So spending all of your money prevents you from, so they say that lawyers and doctors actually, when they look at um, their net worth have less general net worth than teachers and plumbers yep. and these quote unquote lower caliber, whatever, but it's because lawyers and doctors and these higher end careers, I hate using low end and high end, but we're going to go for it for now. Um, they also have a lifestyle to maintain. So they have yep. to be spending their money on all these things that are preventing them from actually having money in the bank. Whereas, you know, teachers have less of an expectation to put money in the bank, uh, to spend money. So they put more money in the bank yeah. and ultimately have more money. Uh, I love that you brought that up. So we're being sold. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say there's one other aspect to it too, because it's, it's not just about the money. The people the that are studying, they have long-term marriages. Oh, I see. And they have powerful relationships in their life mm. and they're present for their children. And I mean, it's like this, it, it was the study. I mean, the book is huge. And I, like I said, I'm just a, a fraction of the way in, but it's fascinating that it's those people that are being present for their life and that are really, truly, truly fucking grateful for everything that's in it. And that are prioritizing those things over the spending and the making their Instagram look perfect and showing up. And I think they, he said that the, the average expenditure for this group of people on suits was under $399 for a suit. Wow. Yeah. So I have a, a dear friend who is extremely wealthy, uh, extremely, extremely wealthy. And she said to me, she goes, Thais, rich people scream, wealthy people whisper. So rich people, people that have a lot of money, they scream their wealth. They're flamboyant and sharing their wealth and how amazing their money is. And look at all the stuff that they're spending. Whereas wealthy people whisper, their wealth isn't based on just money. And they don't care to brag. They care about having their value system met. They care, like you said, about being present, about being in that state of gratitude, which is so, so, so pivotal and key to our well-being. So it's something to be thinking about is that what people are portraying as happiness on as part of their brands online may actually not be what's happening. So it's leading to a lot of disillusioned people. And there's a lot of studies that show that people who are spending most time online are actually more depressed. And they, you know, are giving up friendships offline to kind of pseudo friendships online. Not that you can't have real friendships online, that's what I'm saying, but it's like, they're hiding from showing up in their real lives and not the real, again, I don't want to say that online life is not real, but, but you know what I'm saying? Like, like, it's true though. So yesterday I was right. I was driving with my sister through LA and I was like, you know, we were talking about how Macy's is shutting down and the limited went under and all these retail brands are going out because no one wants to shop in person anymore. And I was saying, I, I actually feel bad for some of the generations coming up. Because, you know, we would spend our, our afternoons at the mall or whatever after school. Yeah. And now the kids are basically going to be going home. I, I mean, essentially, this is in my mind, of course. And, like, they're going to be substituting those in-person kind of things with virtual yeah. reality. Right. And so that isn't real. It's not yeah. real. That yeah. virtual stuff is not, it's not real life. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, it's just. Some things that I've been advocating a lot of is how can I make my brand be real? How can I, instead of filtering my life through my brand, how can I match my brand to my life? I love that. Um, how can what I share online be a reflection of the messiness that is in my life? So that means celebrating the good and, and being with the amazing parts of my life and how cute my doggy is, while also being real of the times when I'm not feeling good, when I'm grieving, when I'm at loss, when I'm ashamed, when I'm anxious, et cetera, et cetera. How can I make sure that I'm not giving people a, a fake representation of who I am just for the idea of inspiring? You know, I don't want to be, I don't want to inspire people to be fake right so and I know that you've been navigating that too and so yeah we've the idea that everybody is a brand is help it's a helpful way to look at it 
when it comes to applying for jobs and when it comes to, um, you know, knowing what to post. And it also is a huge hindrance because then we feel this pressure to have to make our lives appear something that's not. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's especially hard for me because I know that branding and marketing and all this stuff is like to encourage consumerism and obviously it's a, it's a line. Yeah. And it's a line that I personally struggle with because I love what I do. I love being an entrepreneur. I fucking get to change people's lives. Like that is such an honor that I don't take lightly at all. And in order to do that, in order to connect with the people that, that need my services, I have to market myself. But then of course I come from this marketing aspect of having been in the fashion industry where all marketing is fake. It's literally all an illusion and it's all lies. And I have had personally a really hard time. I'm still struggling with it now, straddling this line of like getting out there so that my people know about me and can work with me so that they can transform their lives and trying not to make sure that my marketing is fake or manipulative or it's like, it's so fucking hard. It is really hard. Marketing gets a lot of, gets a bad rep because of that, because it's, it's meant to be manipulative. It's meant to trigger a level of authority. I mean, you know, Jeff Walker's entire formula is you've got to trigger authority. You've got to trigger people in lack. You've got to trigger, you know, all these social triggers that are going to make people buy for you. But it's, it is at the end of the day, in many ways, just manipulation. And um, rags to riches is a great way that we use. That's a manipulation. You know, if you sell your rags to riches as people's, you know, as you're broken and you need to get to this level, and I'm going to show you how to get to this level of lifestyle, um, you're basically, you're exploiting their desires to improve. And I see that spiritual entrepreneurs are the most gullible and they are the ones that are most likely to be exploited because they love what they do and they're so thirsty to spread their impact and they're so thirsty to have make money in their business so that they can make greater impact that they're willing to believe and buy into a lot of bullshit <laughs> in the industry and it's heartbreaking and i feel like i got to pro- be the protector and i got to say i got to say something i can't just let th- this go on i something i've been really sitting with lately in the past few months is that i love being a coach and a lot of people have been like pulling away from the word coach like you know I we talked about this in New York you know I'm pulling away from the word coach because of all the stuff in our industry and I so hear that but I love that I get to be called a coach because the therapy and psychology industry is so narrow-minded and they're so limited in what the tools that they can use and I get to use it all and I get to use my knowledge in psychology, my education in psychology, my, my expertise in women's psychology, as well as the more holistic experience of energy and everything else. I get to use all of that in my conversation as being a coach. So I want to reclaim the word coach. I think that we need to be like powerfully take a stand for the word coach and then protect our industry and call shit out and tell people, who are exploiting the industry for their quick buck by using rags to riches and all that stuff. That that is not acceptable and that we're not going to allow that to happen in an industry that is so precious and so powerful and can change people's lives in such a radical way. How do we do that? Because I literally sat down last week and wrote a huge rant. It's nowhere yet other than in my own personal life. But I'm thinking about publishing it because I, I was super triggered a few weeks ago. I opened up Instagram and one of the quote unquote top coaches in the industry posted about how her private coaching practice is a numbers game. And I was yeah. like, you're fucking with people's lives. That's yeah. not okay. And so now I am, I'm one of those people that like, I don't want to say I'm a coach. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to. Yeah. Because, we're, because we are act like we can't let the people who are abusing the industry claim the word. We can't let, we can't let that happen. We, as the people who are passionate about what we do and are not going away anytime soon, are not here to just make a quick buck. We've got to be claiming the, the words again. It's like, it's like the ultimate reclamation, right? Like we're reclaiming the word pussy and we're saying, I'm not going to let 
people call me a pussy and have it mean something degrading, I'm going to reclaim the word pussy and have it be powerful because our vaginas are fucking badass, right? So we're reclaiming it. There's so many marginalized communities who are reclaiming words that have been generally used as a, 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 a bad thing, right? Like the word queer used to mean something so negative and then the lgbtqia community is like fuck that like we're gonna reclaim i am proud to be a queer because this is what it means for me and this is what it means in our community so for the coaching industry for all of you listening that are like feeling timid around the word coach i dare you to claim it as yours again and claim it as yours by being very very deliberate in your marketing and being deliberate in not perpetuating the things that are not working. You know, Brie, I, I use Time Hop and I go on Time Hop every day to see what I posted in the past. And I see my Facebook posts and how much I've contributed to the violence of women in the coaching industry and the things that I share and the things that I write and how in the moment I thought they were so brilliant. I thought they were so good. And now I'm like, wow, that was all a lie. I was sharing one part of myself to, to get some money and it wasn't working anyway. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's okay that that was there. And now we get to choose something different. And now we get to be different. And now we get to say, if I don't want this industry to be slaughtered by people who are here to make it a numbers game, then I've got to step up and start calling it out and calling it in and inviting a new paradigm. And that's why I'm so obsessed with Kelly deals because she is so fucking unapologetic about calling in a new paradigm in how she breaks down the female lifestyle empowerment brand, which you guys are going to hear about a little bit later. And even if her messaging may not resonate with you per se, what she does offer is an invitation that we do not have to be manipulative and we do not have to have it be a numbers game. And we don't have to brand ourselves as only the perfect part of ourselves to be successful and to make money and to be about women's empowerment. Because we can't, we can't on one hand say, I'm here to empower women. And then on the other hand say, and I'm going to do it by leveraging authority that I don't have and using rags to riches and, and, and using scarcity mindset, right? Here it is. These coaches saying, don't believe in scarcity mindset, but I'm going to play scarcity by giving you as limited time only bonus that expires tonight. And you've got to get it tonight when that's so arbitrary and so unnecessary as a social trigger to get people to buy. The hard thing is, is that it keeps working. It does. Thais, what yep. are we going to do about it? Well, it works because it's psychology. I know. And, and there, the bubble is bursting. It may take another five years for it to fully burst, but the bubble is bursting. People are getting smart. You know, millennials are really smart to knowing when we're being sold to. Like we can tell a mile away when an advertisement or whatever, we can tell. So people are going to have to start getting more creative. And I believe that the best people that are getting creative are the ones that are getting more real and are getting more authentic and are getting more um, flat out. Like this is, this is not acceptable anymore. Yeah. So quick shout out, if you would like to see more real social medias, you can At least find, the best of our abilities, anyway. You can find both of us on Instagram at I am Thais Sky and at Bree Seely. Yeah. Uh, you know, of course, we do have our days. I think my last post that I posted was like a sunset photo from the rooftop of the Ace Hotel. But uh, you well, know. Well, 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 but hold on. But what we're saying here, right, isn't that you can't share beautiful things. This world is so fucked. We need beautiful things. We need things that remind us of our light. We need reminders and inspiration. We need that. That's why we go to museums. That's why we go and listen to opera. That's why we listen to music. That's why we go spend thousands of dollars for a Justin Bieber concert. Like we just got canceled. Yeah. (laughs) We need the joy. We need the love. We need the inspiration. We're not saying to not share that because we need that. We need the sunsets and the reminders that this that world is so beautiful. But I guess what I'm saying is we need the winter and the summer. We need both. We need both. If you see nature, she balances herself out. Yes, there's the deserts, but there's also the tundras and the Sahara, or not the Sahara, the, the, what's that thing in Russia? The big thing that's all ice and cold. Oh my God. Isn't that a tundra? 
I don't know. Okay. The anyway, frozen tundra. We need both, right? We need the all the seasons. We need the hot and the cold. And um, it's the same way on social media. We need the beauty, but we also need the realness. We need the Amen, messiness. Amen, sister. So we need breeze sunsets. And we also need... Price's puppy. <laughs> uh, well, I was going to say we also need the messy bed and um, the moments of uninspiration as well. And yeah, yeah, we need it all. Awesome. I, I feel like we totally digressed from our conversation about brands, but... I, yeah. But I think it was good. Yeah. Hopefully, okay, hopefully, I mean, listeners, do you tell us. We Did we tie it together? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But we'll bring on Kelly and she will hopefully wrap it up very nicely. So uh, stay tuned. All right, Brie. Well, we have a very special guest on the podcast this week. Uh, Kelly is a mentor of mine. She's fucking rad i'm so excited to be in this conversation with her and for all of you listeners to catch a whiff of the brilliance that is kelly deals so kelly deals is a writer and feminist marketing consultant and her approach is based upon the marketing strategies of movements and revolutionaries if you've worked with her you'll be able to testify her chief inspirations for how to get visible and get shit done are dr reverend martin luther king jr the man was a master strategist and the black lesbian feminist poet Audre Lorde. Mm. She is a published writer and social critic. She has a BA with honors in poli sci. She has five children. Every Sunday she writes Blazing Epistles of Righteousness. She is a rampant feminist and her feminism and her work are all about justice. Hi, Kelly. Hi, thanks for having me here today. Yes, thank you for for coming and being here. Coming and being, yes. So we like to start our podcast episodes with asking the same question. So I'll ask it to you, which is what does it look like for you, Kelly, to live an amplified life? For me, it looks like living my commitments. And to be honest, I don't have very many of them. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) I have two unconditional commitments like these are happening no matter what and they are love and justice and I look at them as being the same thing love is how I feel about my children and justice is what I seek for them in the world Mm. so the two things are related for me and those are my commitments when I'm living my commitments I'm living an amplified life I love that. I love that so much. And so what drew me to Kelly's work was uh, in December, I was going through a phase where I was just feeling really jaded by the coaching industry. I was feeling very um, overwhelmed by the amount of complete and utter garbage and shit was being spewed in the industry. And I serendipitously uh, had a friend share... um, Kelly's uh, dissection on the female lifestyle empowerment brand, which she'll talk about. And when I read this article, at first, Kelly, it went right over my head. I was like, wait, what are you saying? So then I had to like get it from my phone onto my computer and I sat down with it and I got a cup of tea and I spent like three hours pouring over this beautifully articulated narrative of your you know, conclusions around the female lifestyle empowerment brand. I remember sending it to Brie. And from that moment onward, I knew that I was never going to be able to market myself in the same way. So I would love for you, Kelly, to share a little bit about what is the female lifestyle empowerment brand and how you started to develop this idea. Yes, I would love to. And thank you for feeding that back to me. That just gave me the shivers to know that my work was useful to you. So thank you so much for feeding that back to me. Okay, so the female lifestyle empowerment brand, I think it's a version of the perfect woman. I think it's an archetype in our culture of what women must be and how they must behave in order to get rights and resources. So what I see in our culture is unless you perform this ideal woman, this perfect woman, this good girl, you're not going to get shit in the world. And so it's this like compulsion that our culture, like I guess a cultural imperative that is held out to us. Like we must be this thing or we will, we will not get jobs. We will not find love. We will not get respect. We will not get rights. 
So I feel like it's a, a cultural imperative. And the way I see it playing out in our empowerment spaces is that that same success model, the good girl, the perfect woman, is held out to us as being the recipe for how we rise in our own businesses. And I see that as being like sexism straight up. And actually, I shouldn't say straight up because that is heteronormative and I need to like start taking those kinds <laughs> of that is that's that's sexism and it's also white supremacy because part of the model for the ideal woman is a, a beauty norm that is white so people who can perform that beauty norm um can rise can get more success uh, have more proximity to power because they're performing that beauty norm i also see it as um Um, homophobic, uh, you know, all the the usual sort of marginalizations play out here where there's a there's an archetype for success. It's white, cisgendered, straight woman, um, able-bodied, young, uh, probably educated, and very, very pretty and thin. And, and I, I find that I, to be a problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I love how you laid it out into four different kind of categories and ways in which women have to align themselves with this perfect woman, especially through her marketing and through her branding. And you break it down into that female, into lifestyle marketing, into empowerment, the word empowerment and brand. And I'm curious, like, how did you develop those four uh, intersectional uh, categories? Well, I kept seeing different kinds of overlapping themes and patterns that were grating me and were a problem. And they just kept looping back on each other. So I was like, I have to talk about all of these things. So I can't only talk about like the problem with lifestyle marketing. I also have to talk about how empowerment, like the language of revolution and feminism is getting hollowed out. I also have to talk about brand and how women are being um, encouraged and almost compelled to present themselves as saleable objects. Um, and I have to talk about conventional notions of femininity because all of these things are like the ball of wax and we have to untangle all of them. So that's why I basically just kept writing down the things I was observing and then I was going through them and like, what, what would I call these patterns, these patterns that I keep seeing repeating? Like, what am I, what would I call them and how can I give this thing a name so that we can start witnessing it and like make it tangible so we can act back on it. So that's how I came up with it. I just kept noting the patterns and I literally got out a spreadsheet and made columns and started lumping the things in and then named each column. So for anyone that's kind of newer to this conversation, what are some things like some really basic elementary beginning steps that people can take? So like, for example, to start to noticing that they are doing a floody thing or to, to change and to not kind of suck into the flabby things. So like, for example, Tice and I are both white, cisgendered, able-bodied, you know, slender, educated women. So like we fall directly into all of those things. Right. Um, and we are both the faces of our brands. So what are things that women can start to do? to kind of straddle this gap because it feels like on one side you are, you know, succumbing to this phleb thing. And on the other side, you know, I, it's just, how do you, how do you merge that juxtaposition? Right. So being the people that you are is, is not a problem. I'm not saying you have to hide yourselves. What I'm saying is when we have those privileges, let's not leverage them as marketing devices. So one of the ways I would say that you don't leverage them is you look at your photography and the images you're putting out into the world and you make sure that they're not all professional photos. They're not all like, I'm here I am looking pretty and rich. You make sure that they show up a broader spectrum across your life. So it's not all the highlights. So it, it's, um, the other thing you would do is look at the backdrops and the details that you're sharing in your selfies. And are they conveying wealth and authority? And are you staging them really, really carefully so that you look like you have a flawless life? Because that's one of the ways that we demonstrate privilege and authority. And when we have that, what, 
what signals of authority do is unconsciously trigger signals of obedience in the people who are witnessing them. And that's useful in a sales funnel, but it's also pretty, um, it's, you know, it's leveraging privilege against people. So look at your actual images and figure out how you're composing them. Look at the stock photos that you use. Um, a lot of people who do work around goddess and divine feminine share a lot of sort of women on beaches in flowing skirts and sort of that kind of imagery. And, you know, I would look at that and think like, are all goddesses 18 years old and 120 pounds? You know, like what could you show a whole spectrum of bodies? Can a woman who's not doing yoga on the beach be a goddess? Could a disabled woman be a goddess? Like I would look at the imagery in the stock photos that we're choosing. I would look at the percentage of fat women that we use in our imagery. I think fat women are 67% of the North American population, women over the size of four, oversize 14. Are they being represented in our brands, in our women's empowerment brands? Is 67% of our imagery large women? So I would start looking at those kinds of things. And I, I know this is something that the two of you have done in your podcast, but look at the podcast and look at the speakers that we're inviting in. You know, are we being inclusive in the, the, the platforms and the stages that we're creating? Are we making sure to invite you? I'm saying the three of us, right? We're white women. So, um, or white presenting women. And I would say like, look at that and say, are we only, are we centering the white women? Are we only inviting on women who look like us? Are we only inviting on white women? And that's actually what happens in most empowerment conferences and most empowerment summits. If you look at it, like 90% of the people on stage will be wearing stilettos and they'll be white. Yeah. And yeah. so I'm looking for us to like build inclusivity. I'm not talking about diversity. I'm talking about inclusivity into our actual business practices and not just our marketing language. One of the things that Kelly wrote about uh, beautifully on her page that was, I think, the second article that I ever read by Kelly was the about page mm. and how we use the um, the transformative story as our sole means of authority and how you leverage this transformative story as your authority in order to get people to see you as, you know, a figure that knows what they're doing. and. When I read that, I realized not only is that what I've been doing, it's what I've been taught to do. It's what the marketing world teaches us to do is to use your rags to riches story to sell people that you can support them from their rags to riches. Right. And I actually find that. So there's two problems with that. So one is the rags to riches story that's taught in Jeff Walker's launch formula. And I would say that's sort of the root of all the online marketing that we do is this that particular person's work and that the, the program and the work specifically teaches you that if you have no experience in your industry you need to position yourself as an expert and because you have no experience you need to manufacture the semblance or the appearance of expertise and authority the appearance of, of, of knowledge and wisdom and how you do that is by telling a rags to riches story where you were you know fat broke stupid and then you learn some magic secret and now, you know, you're rich, then fabulous. And, you know, now for the whatever price, the low, low price of 1999, I'll share my secrets with you. So what that is, is that's manufacturing authority in the absence of actual knowledge, training and immersion and 10,000 hours. So I see two problems with that. So one is that it's obviously manufacturing authority, which is a problem otherwise known um, as fake news <laughs> right and the other one is what it actually trains us to do is to play small and play down our actual qualifications and training and the 10,000 hours we've immersed ourselves in the subject matter to play that down because it doesn't fit nicely into like one single Cinderella moment so I feel like it is fake and it actually asks women entrepreneurs to play small and downplay their actual accomplishments. Mm. So I don't want us to play that game. That being said, I want for us to tell our stories, but not to pour them into the tiny mold of a rags to riches story. 
I do want us to share our lived experiences. And that's really important from a feminist perspective because women's stories historically have been silenced. Our stories are important. So I absolutely want us to tell our stories on our about page and everywhere. And on our about page, I want us to claim our teachers, our mentors, our trainings, our immersions, and all of the things that have shaped us and give us the experience and the expertise and the ability to do the thing that we do. This is so interesting. Literally, as we're having this conversation now, to be fair, I don't use the regs to riches. I like I've never done that on my about page, but I am realizing how in my about page, I don't even begin to address the 10 years of study that I've done around what I teach or like the the 15 years of entrepreneurial experience I have or like any of these things. And it's so fascinating how, even though that's a part of me, I've overlooked it literally until this moment. I hope you'll go rewrite it and show us everything you know and do <laughs> and all the immersions. I promise. It's my homework from this podcast I'm telling episode. you, I fucking read that shit. That's the, the most divine shit by Kelly about, about pages and Jeff Walker's launch formula and authority. And I started to realize how I had built this entire brand of Thais Sky on this authority of my lifestyle, of the risks that I've taken as a white privileged woman, as opposed to the actual very real credentials and achievements that I have. And so I built this like bubble that's instead of a brick house, even though I have all of the tools and all of the bricks that I can make into a real sustainable life and business for myself, I've been uh, manipulated, bullied, believed, I I don't know what the words are, but I've been um, made to believe that it's the bubble that's going to sell. And that's terrifying. And so when I read that stuff by Kelly, it took me four months of going into the Saturn return whole uh, experience of really reevaluating everything that I've believed and I've put on the line for and ask myself, what's really true? What do I really believe? What, you know, how has my privilege played into this? It's been a beautiful, beautiful process. And I'm so grateful for you, Kelly, and the work that you're doing. Well, like, thank you for taking that on, Thais. That I can't tell you how gratifying it is to hear that that we are doing this, like, a, as individuals and as a collective. Like, this is my my dearest hope. You know, and one of the things I want to say is that, like, we don't have to market with illusion and bubbles. We can actually market with our work and our leadership and our substance and our contribution and for very long periods of time, that's a lo- how a lot of businesses were built. They were built on referrals. They were built on quality work. They were built on reputation and leadership. Um, we actually can do that. There's no reason that we are not capable of that. We have those capacities. So let's shift gears just a little bit. So- and then I want to talk about Ivanka Trump. Oh, my God. Okay. So I just want to ask quickly. So I know that like with the patriarchy, it's really common for, you know, men to maybe look at us and say, you know, who do you think you are? You're putting up this, this about page that isn't the the formula and, and you're like claiming all these accomplishments and blah, 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 blah. Who do you think you are? But in my perspective, it's even worse with fellow women. So as you know, women supporting one another being in this, you know, women's entrepreneurial space, what do you, how do you recommend that women really kind of start stepping up to encourage one another in these areas versus cut one another down? So I think that is an interesting line to walk. And I guess I don't say unequivocally (laughs) that we shouldn't criticize other women. I actually do think that we have to tell the truth and we have to critique problematic practices and problematic outcomes. I think we actually have to tell the truth about that. I do not think that we have to gossip about each other, um, talk about things that can't be substantiated, talk about people's characters, their relationships, their families. You know, like we can actually point to public, you know, offerings and say, you know what, there's a problem here. That is some internalized sexism. That is some internalized white supremacy. Like we can point those things out, 
we don't have to trash each other and we can encourage each other to do better. So I guess one of the things I would encourage us to do is when critique is offered to you and when critique is offered to me to actually take a moment and listen to it. I feel like in our online world, we're all like, nah, you know, haters, they're going to hate and da, da, da. You know, like, let's not do that. Let's actually listen to what people are saying and listen for, is there actual critique about my practices or is this that someone didn't like my nose? And if it's that someone doesn't like my nose or my weight, I throw that out. That has no impact on me. It might hurt my feelings, but that's just someone's preferences. That's irrelevant. But if someone is saying, you know what, Kelly, your feminist marketing doesn't align with your supply chain and that's a problem, I need to listen to that and look at that and say, you know what, I do need to change my host. I do need to have a host provider that aligns with my feminist principles. So I think we need to actually listen to criticism, but that we don't have to compare ourselves to each other and find ourselves lacking. Well, and I feel like this conversation leads perfectly into the broader conversation of resiliency and fragility and um, how hard it is for us to accept feedback when we have been kind of not necessarily taught, but seen as fragile. And so we internalize that fragility. And then especially as, you know, being a white woman, we do have that white people fragility. And so I would love for you to talk a little bit about that, that resiliency and the importance of that in doing this work. Right. So I think it is an act of leadership to be willing to publicly fail and to not be seeking to be like defended and flawless and completely polished. I think it's important for people to see us evolve and grapple and change our minds and think through things. So I, I think one of the features of a lack of resiliency and of fragility is the fear that if we say something, we're going to get it wrong and we're going to get trashed. You know what? Like do your best, do the work you know, examine your thinking, examine your assumptions, go and learn from people who are leading in the areas that you need to be educated on, and then be willing to screw up in public and publicly self and course correct. Mm. I feel like that's an act, that's an act of leadership. And it's also like how we move the culture is by like jointly being willing to innovate and fail and get back up and try again. I love that. And I love that you said that. And one of my favorite places online besides obviously the Be Amplified Facebook group is Kelly's Facebook group. We are the culture makers. Uh, you know, you've really um, attracted some people that are just really able to hold each other accountable and really see each other and really ask each other to see it bigger or, or think through or look at the impact. And I, it's such a beautiful, beautiful group. And you, I see in the group, a lot of conversations about, you know, calling in versus calling out. And so I would love for you to talk a little bit about that, the differences between that, especially when it comes to maybe starting to now that our listeners are starting to maybe see, you know, where they may have been doing their own phleb practices or where other people may start, you know, maybe doing phleb practices. How can we invite them into a greater possibility. Right. So the, the discussion around calling in versus calling out, I've written about it, but that concept actually comes from black girl dangerous. That's where I, I first learned about it. Mm. And it comes from sort of the social justice community and calling in means with people who have a proven track record of being committed to social justice and cultural change, when they screw up and say something that's heteronormative or, um, sexist, we correct them because we want them to do better. So we call them in. Um, and the person who's called in because they're committed to those things is willing to hear it and willing to correct themselves. So that is like an act of love. You're like, whoa, I know what your commitments are. You really just stepped in something. Here's how you could do it better. And the other person's like, oh, whoa, thank you. I will do better. Right. That's calling in. Um, calling out is when people are refusing to self-assess, refusing to be corrected, refusing to be educated, um, and you tell the truth about it. That's calling out. Calling in doesn't have to be a private conversation. That can happen publicly, like in a Facebook thread. It's, it's just about 
the outcome is we are in solidarity with each other. So let's talk to each other like that, like community members and educate and be willing to self-reflect and educate and self-correct. I love that. I think that that's such an important concept, especially as we're trying to navigate the online space and hold each other accountable to, you know, the truth and to opening themselves up to inclusivity and to, um, create something that's that brick house instead of the bubble house. <laughs> right, right. Right. And I guess the thing I also want to say, like, for example, about my group, my group is not always a pleasure to be in. No. Right. Like it's yeah. a challenging yeah. place and there's a lot of very big brains and a lot of experience and leadership and lived experience. And you know, there it's not always an easy place because it's a learning space and I don't know any classroom or any learning space that's always been easy. So that's the other thing about resiliency is we can't expect everything to be like sunshine and roses everywhere we go. We've got to be willing to like grind a little and push ourselves and stretch. And that doesn't mean I want us to like sacrifice ourselves on the hamster wheel of productivity. I'm firmly against that. What I'm asking for us to do is stretch into the uncomfortable assumptions that were built into us by our culture. Like the voice of culture has been flowing through us and using our tongues and our bodies without our consent. So we can interrupt that and it's an uncomfortable process, but it's also a liberating process. We just had that experience last night. We hosted our book club and we talked about the handmaiden's tale and Thais both walked out of book club feeling like complete failures. <laughs> Cause really, well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's well, not an, failures, not like failures, but just like we did it very messily. And mm. my conclusion was that with a conversation like that, like, especially with a book like that, I don't think there's any other way to have that conversation because they're, you know, it, it's, it's a bit of a new conversation as is this. And, mm -hmm. you know, we're all just kind of learning and evolving as we go and it's going to be messy. We're, we're all still going to fuck up like all of us are. And, um, you know, right. I love how you talk about just being present with that and, and skewing this perfect idea that we always have to, you know, have the perfect filter and the, the photos and the Instagram and all of the things. And we just need to be showing up every day. Right. Like I've written this, that I really and truly believe that the perfect woman, like, and the, 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 the imperative that we've got to be perfect all the time in all things is a form of violence against women. And we literally have to unlearn that urge towards perfection to get free and to change the culture. So that's why I was saying being willing to screw up in public is an act of leadership. This is how we move the culture forward. This is how we crumble that imperative that we must be perfect. I love it. Well, we're going to take it to the extended cut. I want to talk about Ivanka Trump and I want to talk about some insidious marketing tactics that we've been taught that is perpetuating violence against women because I know you you have been writing a lot about this and I want to I want to make some space to talk about it so we're going to take this conversation to the extended cut for those of you listening you can uh listen to the extended cut by going into our Facebook group uh beamplified.community Kelly where can people learn more about you and all of your brilliant work Sure. I would love to tell you that. You can find me at kellydeals.com. That's K-E-L-L-Y-D-I-E-L-S.com. I'm writing a book about the female lifestyle empowerment brand, which is the thing we were talking about today. And you can also join my free Facebook group. It's called We Are the Culture Makers, where we talk about the intersection between cultural change and the actual marketing practices we use in our own businesses to help dismantle the culture we oppose and create the hopeful future we're imagining. Amazing. Well, thank you, Kelly. As Thais mentioned, come join us in our Be Amplified community. Uh, you can find us on all the socials at The Amplify Co. And until next week, go be amplified. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.